Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 52 of the show. It's been a while since we've been on, several weeks. We have plenty to get caught up on. Uh, Week 6 of the NFL is about to kick off this week. Uh, The Major League Baseball playoffs are underway and uh, already pretty much uh, in the Championship League series in there, so we'll get you caught up on how that's all gone down. The, uh, of course, college football, huge ranking shakeup this past week. Uh, plenty uh, of changes in the top 25 since the last episode, so we'll go over that. And the National Hockey League has dropped the puck on their 2021-2022 season, so we'll get you caught up on that so far and some news and information from there. But we're going to start off in the PGA Tour. And before last episode, it was the uh, the Ryder Cup version of the show. So we previewed the Ryder Cup. Now, the Ryder Cup, this was, what, uh, I guess three weeks ago now? And that was held at the Whistling Straits Golf Course, <clears throat> which is in Kohler, Wisconsin. All right. And the way that that went down... It, of course, we had 12 guys on Team USA, 12 guys from Team Europe. And just to refresh your memory, the Team USA roster consisted of Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Xander Schauffele, Jordan Spieth, Harris English, Daniel Berger, and Scotty Scheffler. It was the youngest Ryder Cup team in U.S. Ryder Cup history. They went toe-to-toe with the European Ryder Cup roster of John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, Paul Casey, Sergio Garcia, Shane Lowry, Ian Poulter, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tyrell Hatton, Lee Westwood, and Bern Wiesberger. And... The way that this worked, it was only a three-day event. It was uh, not your normal you know, PGA event where it's four days. This was only three days. It started on Friday, ended on Sunday, and there were different formats. So you had uh, on Friday and Saturday, <clears throat> during those days, there were four ball and four sums, and they had one round of each on each of those two days. Four ball is where uh, they were paired up in two-man teams. They played their own ball. So there were four balls in play on every hole, and everybody played their own ball. Each team counted the lowest score on the hole, and whoever's team had the lower score won the hole. Whereas for sums, there were two-man teams, but they played one ball per hole, and they alternated shots. So one guy would hit drive on 
odd numbered holes the other guy hit drive on even numbered holes and uh, the team with the lower score on the hole wins so that's kind of how foursomes worked it was pretty really cool format and so that took place there was a four ball and a foursome on friday and a four ball and foursome on saturday sundays were all singles so one match consisted of a team usa member versus a team europe member and of course the lower score on the whole one so heading into those singles matches on sunday the united states was up 11 to 5 I mean, you get a point for each match that you won all right and if you tied the match you have to have you know get a half point for it so 11 to 5 was the u.s lead heading into sunday's singles matches which was the biggest lead uh, the U.S. has had heading into that final day since 1975. All right, so it's been a while since the U.S. has been up like that. And all the U.S. did on Sunday was win eight of those 12 matches to to win the Ryder Cup 19-9. to Now, the 19 Ryder Cup points scored by the United States was the most ever points scored in the Ryder Cup's 29-point format. All right, so the Team USA needed 14 and a half points to win. They got 19, so they crushed that. Uh, the United States team had 14 match wins by rookie Ryder Cup members, which was the most since 1979. So uh, in my predictions, I had talked about how there were six rookies on this Ryder Cup. Exactly half of the U.S. Ryder Cup team had never participated in the Ryder Cup, and that was Morikawa, Cantlay, Shoffley, Scheffler, Berger, and English. And those six combined to get 14 match wins, which was the most, again, in uh, almost 40 years. Now, Dustin Johnson, he's one of the veterans of the team, one of the veteran USA golfers just in general. He went 5-0-0 in his matches, becoming the first American to do so since Larry Nelson in 1979. So... Uh, DJ really was the anchor of this team, held it together, <clears throat> and helped carry the U.S. to just a massive Ryder Cup win. That is one of the most entertaining spectacles in all of golf, okay? I was on the edge of my seat uh, the whole weekend. I had it on all three days. As much as I could watch of it, I had it on. I was cheering, man, here in the crowd, chant USA and boo the Team Europe guys. Uh, it just gives you chills, goosebumps, just watching it, and that was just absolutely incredible. So uh, the course was a beautiful course. Um, you know, it was very – it catered to the Europeans very much in the fact that uh, it was more of a link-style course, Whistling Straits was. But uh, the U.S. didn't want to hear any of that, and they just completely dominated from start to finish. So it was fun to watch. What a great event. But the, the PGA uh, Tour event after that, uh, one week after that, was the Sanderson Farms Championship. And that was held at the Country Club of Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi. It was a par 72 distance with 7,461 yards. Now, of course, coming off the Ryder Cup, the field in this one was, was not as good as you would think. It was kind of a low, very low purse tournament. Um, I don't believe any of the Ryder Cup members, uh, in fact, I know none of the Ryder Cup participants uh, played in this event. You had a couple of, of bigger name players, uh, Will Zalatoris, Matthew Wolf, Corey Connors, Sung J.M., 
Mackenzie Hughes, uh, you know, those kind of guys are the guys you got playing in this thing. But in the end, it was uh, Sam Burns who ended up winning with a score of 22 under par, which was a one-shot victory over Nick Watney and Cameron Young, who both finished T2 at 21 under par. Now, Sam Burns, he uh, he was looking good in his first two rounds, was... Uh, just blazing hot in his third round. He shot a, a seven under 65 in round three, which really kind of put him in contention to win. And then he shot a five under 67 in the final round on Sunday to seal the deal. And uh, he, man, Sam Burns is, he won last year on tour for his first career victory. And he's already won so far uh, in the two events we've had or up to this point. <clears throat> we had so far this year so he uh he's looking good for a big year and uh, I think he's he's got the skill and the talent to put together um I think at least three wins this year so keep an eye on him he's a good young American golfer that's uh coming up the world golf ranks now Nick Watney and Cameron Young uh, they both finished 21 under par uh, just one shot back of Burns uh, they both played solid all weekend. Watney came out hot with a 7-under 65 and then only went 1-under 71 in round three. So uh, he he closed with a 65 as well. So he opened and closed with 7-under 65s, which ultimately was the reason that he finished T2. Cameron Young had four rounds in the 60s, his uh, highest being a four under 68, which was in that final round, but he still ended up T2. Now there were four guys at T4, which was 20 under par. So two shots back of Burns, one shot back of Watney and Young. And that was Hendrick Norlander, Hayden Buckley, Andrew Landry, and Trey Mullinax. All of those guys were, um, you know, in contention for most of the weekend. But <clears throat> that one, again, not a great tournament, not a great group of, of players in that one, but Sam Burns was your winner at the Sanderson. Now, the weekend after that, which was last weekend, it was the Shriners Children's Open, which was held at TPC Summerlin in Las Vegas, Nevada. Par 71, distance 7,255 yards. And there were... Uh, some bigger name players in this one. Uh, Brooks Kepka returned to action for this. Uh, Adam Scott was in it. Victor Hovland, again, he, he returned. Uh, so we did have some big name players. But in the end, your winner was Sung J M with a score of 24 under par. Just an, an insanely low score to par. He ended up <clears throat> shooting an absolutely insane nine under 62 in round four, which catapulted him up there to the top spot and a four-shot victory over Matthew Wolf, who finished solo second at 20 under par. So uh, Sung J.M. actually, he opened with a 63, eight under 63, and closed with a nine under 62. So M was really in control of this thing all weekend. Uh, Matthew Wolf, he did have four rounds in the 60s. He opened with a 7-under 64, closed with a 3-under 68. And he uh, 
he was one shot clear uh, of that T3 spot, but he was four shots back of him. So uh, good to see him. It was a second career victory on tour. Uh, this dude plays in pretty much every event on tour. It's it's kind of funny to watch. You see all these big-name guys take some time off uh, several weeks at a time. M just keeps on rolling pretty much every event. Uh, Matthew Wolf, good to see him uh, back near the top of the leaderboard. He kind of struggled late at the end of last year, uh, but it looks like he may have found his uh, found his swing. There was a three-way tie at 19 under par at T3. It's Mark Leishman, the Olympic uh, silver medalist, Rory Sabatini, uh, and maybe gold medal or a bronze medalist rather. And then um, Adam Schenk was your other guy at T3, which 19 under par. Again, that was one shot back of Wolf and then five shots back of M. So, Really not much competition there. The the two at T6, 18 under par, were Lanto Griffin and Adam Hadwin. So uh, both of those guys play in quite a few tournaments as well. So, uh, But Sung J.M.'s 9 under 62 is really the highlight of the tournament, and he waited till the final round to do that. Uh, Brooks Kepka, I mentioned the, the big-name guys. Victor Hovland, uh, you know, fresh off his uh, his first Ryder Cup performance finished T44 nine under par and Brooks Kepka was was far worse than that he finished T67 which was uh, f- basically third from last at four under par so uh, his final two rounds were both over par so not a good weekend for Kepka he uh still trying to get his back situation figured out but he did look good at at the Ryder Cup, uh, he made some fantastic shots to help Team USA get that. But uh, this weekend's tournament is the CJ Cup at Summit, which is the Summit Club in Las Vegas, Nevada. So back-to-back weeks in Las Vegas. They kind of debuted the back-to-back weeks in the same city last year when COVID was going on. They've carried that over into this year. Uh, the summit is a par 72 distance of 7,431 yards. And we got a lot more big name guys in this one. Uh, pretty much a lot of the major guys you can think JT, Morikawa, uh, Matsuyama, Finau, um, Abraham Answer, <clears throat> Cameron Smith, you know, just a lot of. Uh, Tyrell Hatton, Dustin Johnson, Xander Shoffley. This is a big tournament. Jordan Spieth will be out there. So there's uh, Rory and Tommy Fleetwood, same thing. So there's a lot of big-name golfers in this thing. It's going to be a good good week to watch. Big purse tournament. And last year's champion was Jason Kokrak. It was one of his couple victories that he had on tour. So uh, be sure and tune into the CJ Cup this weekend at Summit because it's going to be – a good tournament. So I know I'll, I'll probably catch part of the weekend rounds on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, definitely some big name guys out there teeing it up. So be sure and tune into that. But we'll move on to the National Football League, do a standings update there. Uh, just a crazy NFL season we've had so far. Uh, we are through five weeks. This week uh, will be week six in the NFL. And Standings look quite a bit different than they did maybe uh, a few weeks ago when we had our last episode. 
But I mentioned a crazy season. Uh, after week four, which was a couple weeks ago, uh, there had been 15 games so far that had been played in which the game-winning score occurred in the final minute of regulation or in overtime, uh, which means, you know, last-second field goal, last-minute score, that kind of thing. And that's that was the most such games for the first four weeks of a season in the last 50 years. And there was only uh, a few more of those to take place, uh, really, in the in the in weeks in week five. So uh, that only added to that total. I can think of at least two or three games off the top of my head from week five that added to that. So, but week five, the story of last week were the missed kicks, whether it be field goals or extra points. In fact, there were 13 missed extra points this past week in Week 5, which was the most in a single week in the Super Bowl era. Just absolutely unbelievable the amount of kicks that were missed. Don't really know how or why. Uh, And if you watch that Green Bay-Cincinnati game, uh, my goodness, uh, the Packers and the Bengals just traded missed field goals. It was almost hilarious. There were five missed field goals combined from the last two minutes of the game into overtime. Uh, and coincidentally, the game ended up ending on a field goal. So uh, the one that was made. But just crazy week for kickers. But we'll start our standings update in the AFC and go to the AFC North. The Baltimore Ravens are 4-1. and one. Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns are 3-2. and two. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are 2-3. and three. Now with Baltimore, they are they they look like the best team in that division, especially off their off their Monday night win over the Colts, in which Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Hollywood Brown just went nuts. Uh, not just in fantasy, but in real life, um, the numbers they put up were unbelievable. Now the Browns, um, well the the Ravens. Let me back up. The Ravens. A couple weeks ago, I think after week week uh, three or four, I think it may have been week three. Justin Tucker kicked a game-winning field goal against the Lions in the last second. It was a 66-yard field goal, and it hit the center upright or the center crossbar, bounced in through the uprights, and that became the longest field goal made in NFL history. Now Cleveland, uh, they're three and two. They've had a, a rough loss this past Sunday to the uh, LA Chargers, but they look like a real good team. Defense is solid. Uh, offense has been putting it together. The tandem of uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt looks really good. Best offensive line in the league, probably. Uh, but the Browns, that loss against the Chargers this past week, they became the first team in NFL history to score 40 points, have 500 total yards of offense, and zero turnovers in the same game, and lose. Uh, not sure how they did it, but if that is not the most Cleveland Brown thing to do, then I don't know what the hell is. But um, the Bengals have really outperformed uh, their expectations so far. Cincinnati, um, they look good. Joe Burrow looks legit. Jamar Chase is the real deal. Uh, that team is, um, I think most people would have put them at one and four probably through the first five instead of three and two, but here they are. So. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they're 2-3. and three. They had a good win this past week, but I do not believe them to be any sort of threat to win that division. Uh, over in the AFC South, this is the most horrendous division in the AFC. 
Uh, Tennessee Titans are three and two. The Houston Texans and the Indianapolis Colts are one and four. The Jacksonville Jaguars are zero and five. Now Jacksonville, with their loss on Sunday, became the third team in NFL history to have a losing streak of twenty games. Trevor Lawrence has done more losing in five weeks in the NFL than he did all of his years in high school and college. So that's a quick welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, the Colts, they have horribly underperformed. Their schedule was brutal. We knew that. It was the hardest schedule really in NFL history based on winning percentage for their first five games. So they've made it through that. But um, they have really underperformed. Carson Wentz didn't look good until week five this week, but they're one and four. Houston, I can't believe they've even won a game, but they have. Uh, and then Tennessee, Tennessee looks like they're probably going to run away with that division here before too long. Now over in the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills are four and one. The New England Patriots are two and three. And the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets are both one and four. Now Buffalo they might be the very best team in the entire NFL. They just won a dominating Sunday night football game at Arrowhead in Kansas City, just walloping the Chiefs. Um, they took it to them, owned them in every phase in Kansas City's arena, which is a tough or a stadium, which is a tough place to play. So uh, the Bills are legit. Josh Allen. Uh, his name's going to be in the MVP conversation before it's said and done. And the Bills' schedule sets up nicely the rest of the way to where uh, they're looking good at uh, hosting a playoff game uh, or having home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs. But the New England Patriots, uh, they're 2-3. and three. Mac Jones has looked all right, but um, just uh, not the Belichickian-type Patriots team that we're used to seeing. Now, the Dolphins and the Jets, the Dolphins have had some injuries. Tua Tagovailoa hasn't played since week two, I believe. Um, yeah, I think he's due back this week. They're in London in week six here, um, but they're one and four. They've had a slew of injuries. Will Fuller, it looks like another lost season for him. Uh, Miles Gaskins horribly underperformed. Just not been a good year for the Dolphins. Uh, the New York Jets, uh, I'm not really sure how they won a game, but they did. They beat the Titans of all teams uh, to win that game. But uh, Zach Wilson, I can see the talent. Uh, he looks like he's going to be very, very good. However, it's not this year. He might tie Peyton Manning's record for most interceptions in a season by a rookie. Uh, and he's on, he's on pace to break it right now. But I think he'll settle in eventually. Um, and he's got a couple games against the Dolphins, you know, obviously playing in that division. So I think he'll settle down. But, uh, yeah, the Jets are, are probably going to be last in that division. Now, over in the AFC West, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers are 4-1. and one. The Las Vegas Raiders are 3-2 and two after starting off 3-0. and oh. The Denver Broncos also started off 3-0. and oh. They are also 3-2. and two. And then the Kansas City Chiefs, currently at two and three, last place in the AFC West. Now, of course, Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback in the game, he became the fastest player in NFL history to reach 15,000 passing yards, which I don't think anybody's surprised at that. But what we are surprised at is the Chiefs' record. They're two games back at the Chargers, who also beat the Chiefs 
at Arrowhead Stadium. So two of the three Chiefs' losses have been at Arrowhead to the Chargers and the Bills, two other good AFC teams that they're probably going to have to compete for a playoff spot with. Um, The Chargers look like, again, the real deal. Justin Herbert is squarely in the mix for NFL MVP, looking really good. Uh, The Raiders, with the John Gruden situation we'll get into here shortly and around the island, they're a mess. They're falling apart. And Denver really is the most perennial 8-8 or 7-10 team. 8-9, I guess, this year with 17 games, or maybe 9-10. Uh, or seven and ten. Uh, that's that's probably about what they'll finish. That three and zero start was fraudulent due to their schedule. But that division is going to get interesting in a hurry, especially if Kansas City can find their winning ways again. Them and L. A. will be duking it out, and that'll be a sight to see. So uh, that's a kind of quick look around the A. F. C. Now let's take a look over in the N. F. C. Start in the N. F. C. North. The Green Bay Packers are four and one. Chicago Bears 3 and 2, Minnesota Vikings 2 and 3, and the Detroit Lions are 0 and 5. Now, Green Bay, they got throttled in week 1 by the Saints and have now won 4 in a row. Rodgers and Adams are clearly on the same page. They're cooking. Adams leads the league in receiving yards. Uh just another ho-hum year for them, right? Uh Chicago, they have transitioned to Justin Fields as their starting quarterback. Andy Dalton got hurt, which opened the door. Uh, Fields did not take advantage of it in his first game, but did so in his second enough to warrant the starter's job for at least the foreseeable future. I doubt, and all he's done is won two games now uh, in a row, so to get them above five hundred. So I doubt that Fields is going anywhere anytime soon. The Vikings. Uh, I feel like they are another team that has probably underperformed. Uh, they, um, you know, Dalvin Cook has not been healthy. Uh, he's missed two games, which is about on pace for what he normally does. He's the best running back in the league that can't stay healthy. Uh, him and or Christian McCaffrey, take your pick. But that's kind of how the Vikings season's gone so far. The Lions have actually lost two games on last-second field goals, one of which was an NFL record, like we talked about. Uh, the um, the NFL record 66-yard field goal. So the Lions could be 2-3, and three, but instead they're 0-5. That's kind of how football goes. Uh, over in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 4-1. and one. Carolina Panthers and New Orleans Saints, both 3-2. and two. And the Atlanta Falcons are 2-3. and three. Now, the Buccaneers, they have looked all right. I don't think they've looked incredible. I think they look beatable. Um, they're getting to play the Thursday night game here to kick week six off. We'll see how that goes, but... Uh, they're certainly a playoff team. Tom Brady has 15 touchdown passes in five weeks, which is the second most through five weeks in his career. Uh, so he's looking really good. The uh, Carolina Panthers, they started off 3-0. and They're down to 3-2 and now. Um, they have back-to-back losses. And uh, Sam Darnold, though, is continuing to be a bright spot for the Panthers. He's really kind of had a career resurgence getting out of New York, which think anybody any reasonable quarterback would probably have that happen but such is the case with him 
So he's looking good. Uh, the Saints, they have kind of gone back and forth. They've looked really good, and they've also looked really bad. Uh, I I think they're going to be a bubble team for the playoffs. Um, I don't know that they're going to just waltz into the playoffs like they normally do or did with Drew Brees. Jameis Winston's very up and down, and uh, their defense, though, is good, which I think they got Marshawn Lattimore back, so I think he's he's helping to keep that defense relevant. And then the Falcons. I mentioned on the last episode, which was, I think, after week two, that the Falcons were one of the worst teams in the league. Now, that still is the case, but they are 2-3, and three, so record-wise, uh, they've been able to to play okay. They just went to London this past week in week five and beat the Jets in London. So uh, they're up to two and three. Cordero Patterson's been kind of a revelation there in Atlanta playing running back and wide receiver. Um, Over in the NFC East, my beloved Dallas Cowboys are four and one, and they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I know we joke about that every year, or at least say that every year. But this year is definitely truthful. Uh, if you've watched that game, any of the games, Cowboys, their offense is second really to none. I think they have the best offense in the league. Certainly one of the top two offenses in the league, and their defense has been playing really well. Second-year corner Trevon Diggs has uh, gotten interception in all five games. He has six of them in five games, which definitely leads the NFL by, uh, by three, actually. And uh, he is just an absolute baller. Shut down corner, something that they've been searching for for a long time. Uh, Micah Parsons, he is the real deal. He's played linebacker, D-end, kind of everywhere, everything, and he's all over the place. And then rookie defensive tackle Osa Odigizua has also been kind of a revelation, a third-round pick. He's been really well, uh, playing really well uh, in addition to the other two. So that's really kind of helped bring this Cowboys team up from the dead. And uh, Dak Prescott's a top-five NFL quarterback, and uh, Cowboys are rocking and rolling. Uh, Washington football team and the Philadelphia Eagles, they're both 2-3. and three. The New York Giants are 1-4. and four. Now, the Washington football team, they lost Ryan Fitzpatrick in week one, so Taylor Heineke's been the quarterback. He's... He's just an average quarterback. He's been able to keep them um, near the water level. Not really sinking, but not really swimming. Uh, same with the Eagles. The Eagles had a, had a good win last week uh, to, to come up to 2-3. and three. Uh, They played the Buccaneers on Thursday night football here in week six to get that going. So we'll see how they do, but... Uh, you know, Eagles, I think they're they're either second or third best team in this division. The New York Giants at 1-4, and four, they lost Daniel Jones to a concussion last week. Saquon Barkley sprained his ankle. He's going to be out a couple more weeks. Can't That dude can't catch a break. He's probably one of the three best running backs in the entire NFL, uh, just on a talent perspective. But the dude's never healthy. He's never available. Um, just very unfortunate for the Giants. Kenny Galladay's hurt again. That seems to be he got his money, and now he's hurt all the time, just like he was in Detroit. Uh, he's probably one of the best receivers that can ever stay healthy. But um, over in the NFC West, the only unbeaten team 
uh, in the entire NFL is the Arizona Cardinals. They're 5-0. and Kyler Murray has just been on another level this year. He's squarely in the MVP conversation. The Los Angeles Rams are 4-1, and and the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers are both 2-3. and Now, the Rams, Matthew Stafford has been a substantial upgrade over Jared Goff. Uh, their defense, obviously, with Ramsey and Donald, I would not want to play the Rams. They're very difficult to beat. Cooper Cup has been a thing this year, um, and the Rams just look really good. Seattle. They were dealt a tough blow uh, this past week. Russell Wilson uh, injured his uh, finger throwing the ball. It was on Thursday night against the Rams. Hit his finger, middle, right middle finger, on Aaron Donald's helmet, and that ripped a tendon in his finger. So he had to have surgery on that. So Russell Wilson is going to miss between four and eight weeks. So we'll see how that goes. Seahawks two and three. They're two games behind the Rams, three games behind the Cardinals, and they're without Russell Wilson for at least a month. Geno Smith is going to be the starting quarterback. Um, He's a career journeyman, not really a great quarterback. Uh, I don't think he's horrible, but he's not Russell Wilson. So the Seahawks are going to probably uh, play their way out of a playoff spot over these next few weeks. Then the San Francisco 49ers, again, they're 2-3, and three, another team that's underperformed. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Trey Lance really did not look great in his NFL, first career NFL start this past week. Actually got hurt doing so, but he ran for 84 yards on 16 carries. So it's clear what the offense is going to be with Trey Lance, which it's exciting, but uh, the 49ers have not lived up to par. George Kittle's currently on the IR. He's going to miss a couple more weeks. So we'll see uh, how this goes. But the NFC uh, is has got some surprises coming out of it here uh, so far through the first uh, five weeks. But we'll move on to Major League Baseball, and we are officially in the playoffs. The championship Series have been set in both the AL and the NL. We'll do a quick little recap of how we got there. Uh, I don't feel it necessary to uh, do a full standings update for the end of the season standings. I think we'll just go over how the playoff picture turned out. But I will mention a few notes from the end of the season, just kind of across various teams, some interesting uh, noteworthy things that have happened over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, they won the NL East for the fourth consecutive season, which is quite a bit, uh, you know, they had all four of their infielders had 25 home runs or more. Um, you know, that's a competitive division, which is funny because the New York Mets play in that division, and the Mets, uh, they actually set the record Major League Baseball record for the longest time spent in first place, which was one, uh, 103 games this year they were in first place, and finish the season with a losing record. So uh, they spent way more than half the season in first place and ended up with a losing record. So, um, you know, the Nationals were a disappointment this year. Uh, so the Braves kind of ran away with that division. The Phillies kind of made it interesting at the end of the year. Uh, but the Braves uh, proved to be the best team there. Uh, in the NL Central, the St. Louis Cardinals, 
They ended up getting in as a wild card team into the playoffs, but they did so because they won 17 straight games. Um, they won uh, 17 in a row. I, I think you know there was only probably 25 or so games left, maybe 30 games left when they started that 17 game winning streak. So uh, they pretty much finished the year as hot as can be. Uh, over in the National League West, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they had the first 20 game winner uh, as a pitcher in five years. Julio Urias, their starting pitcher, became the first NL pitcher in five years to win 20 games. So uh, that team is loaded with talent. Max Scherzer, all he did when he came over from Washington to L.A. was win. I think he went like 9-0 and or something ridiculous like that with the Dodgers. So had he spent a full season in L.A., he probably would have 20 games himself as well. Over in the American League, a couple of quick noteworthy things there. Uh, Baltimore Orioles outfielder Cedric Mullins just had an absolutely incredible season. He became the first Baltimore Orioles player to ever hit 30 home runs and steal 30 bases in the same season. And so, that I mean, for a team that's been a bottom feeder in that division uh, for years and years, uh, it's good to see something good happen to him. Uh, over in the AL West, the probable American League MVP, Shohei Otani, Los Angeles Angels, he hit, uh, finished the year hitting 257 with 46 home runs, 100 RBI, 26 stolen bases. Just absolutely incredible. And oh, by the way, as a pitcher, he went 9 and 2 with a 3.18 ERA and 156 strikeouts. Uh, Like I said, go ahead, give that guy the MVP award now, Uh, even though the Angels failed to make the playoffs. Incredible season for Shohei Otani. Um, So that brings us to the playoffs, right? Um, As it sits now, as this episode is recorded, we already know the ALCS and the NLCS matchups, but how did we get there? We'll start off in the National League side. The wild card teams were the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Dodgers finished as the four-seed, Cardinals as the five-seed. That was the one-game uh, one game wild card game to see who advanced to play the San Francisco Giants. And the Dodgers ended up beating the Cardinals in that wild card game. So that set up your two NLDS division series matchups. Uh, the top-seeded San Francisco Giants played the number four seed Los Angeles Dodgers. And on the other side, the number two seed Milwaukee Brewers played the number three seed Atlanta Braves. In the Giants-Dodgers series, this was the only division league or division series game uh, series to go five games. And in that fifth game, the Dodgers came out victorious. So the Dodgers beat the Giants in five games to advance to the NLCS. And over in the other ALDS series, the Atlanta Braves shockingly beat the Brewers in four games. A three-to-one series victory there. I know the Brewers were favored. Uh, They were the higher seed, but um, the Brewers' trio of ace pitching uh, did not really matter because the Braves' bats proved to be extremely hot. And they enter the NLCS against a Dodgers team that's just rolling. So uh, the Dodgers and the uh, Atlanta Braves is your NLCS matchup. We'll give a prediction here in just a minute after we recap the American League. 
On the American League side, the Boston Red Sox finished as the four seed in the wild card spot, and the New York Yankees finished as the five seed. That playoff game was at Fenway Park, and the Red Sox ended up beating the Yankees in that wild card game to move on to play the Tampa Bay Rays. So your two ALDS series, Tampa Bay Rays, your number one seed, uh, played the number four Boston Red Sox. Other ALDS series was the number two seed Houston Astros playing the number three seed Chicago White Sox. The Rays and Red Sox series. Both of those ALDS series were only four games. Or, yeah, four games. Um, Boston shocked the world and ended up beating Tampa Bay three games to one to clinch that series in four. You know, Tampa gave it a good run. That That series was very close. A lot of those games came down to a walk-off hit. There were multiple walk-off hits in that series by the Red Sox. Uh, Tampa made it close, and uh, Boston ended up overcoming adversity, I guess, really, because they weren't favored to win. So uh, Boston ended up beating Tampa to move on to the ALCS. And on the other side, uh, Houston, they came out buzzing. They took the first two games of the series, and uh, Chicago ended up getting game three, but then in game four, uh, Lance McCullers just shut down the White Sox. I think he pitched uh, almost seven innings, perhaps, and uh, Chicago really had no answer for him. So the Astros beat the White Sox three games to one in that one. So the American League Championship Series is the Boston Red Sox and the Houston Astros, and the National League Championship Series, Los Angeles Dodgers and Atlanta Braves. I'll give you my predictions in the American League. I think the Houston Astros are going to win, and I say that uh, because Houston's pitching is better. Uh, they got Zach Grinke, Lance McCullers, uh, Framber Valdez. Uh, I just like the pitching of the Astros, and their bullpen's very stingy. And uh, I know the Red Sox got a pretty good lineup, but um, if we're, we're judging based on starting pitching and, and bullpen, I like the Astros better. I think that's where the series is going to be won. I think both teams can score runs. You know, Carlos Correa just seems to be built for the playoffs. Same with Ho- uh, Jose Altuve. Uh, on the Red Sox side, of course, you got uh, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts. They both continue to hit like they did in the regular season. Both drove in, I think, 100 runs. Uh, so it's gonna. I think the series would probably go at least six games, maybe seven. But I like the Astros to come out on top. And then over in the National League side, I picked the Dodgers to win the World Series at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to pick them to win this series. I just don't see with their pitching, even without Trevor Bauer, uh, they still have or Clayton Kershaw, you know they still have Julio Urias, Max Scherzer, uh, you know just a lineup full of all stars really. So I think it might go seven games though because the Braves are just keep on chugging along, and uh, even without Ronald Acuna, they don't seem to be slowed down. So uh, give me the Dodgers to win that series, and I like for a Los Angeles Houston uh, World Series. Uh, here this year but we'll have to stay tuned on that we should maybe uh, know a little more by the time we roll out the next episode but for now my prediction is Houston versus the Dodgers uh, in the World Series Uh, but we'll move on to the NCAA in college football we'll do an AP top 25 poll update it has changed drastically since the last episode uh, most notably at the top This year has been very crazy in college football, much like the NFL. Uh, 
week f- we are in week seven of college football. Uh, just finished week six last week. They're a week ahead of the NFL. Uh, in week five, a couple weeks ago, there were four top ten teams that lost in college football that day, which is the first time since October 2018 that that's happened. Uh, four top ten teams losing on the same day. One of those top ten teams, Notre Dame, lost to Cincinnati, who was another top ten team. Uh, and the game was in South Bend, Indiana, at Notre Dame Stadium. Now, I bring up that matchup specifically because Notre Dame had paid Cincinnati $1.2 million to play them that day and then lost to them. So now Cincinnati was a higher-ranked team. I think Cincinnati was 5 going into the matchup. Notre Dame was 10 at the time. So Notre Dame uh, was technically the lower-ranked team, uh, but they were at home, and uh, they ended up paying Cincinnati $1.2 million to come to them and beat them, basically is how that played out. So I thought that was interesting. But um, through Week 6, where we're at now, there have been a total of 40, count them, 4 0 top 25 teams that have lost a game so far this year, which is the most by far ever in a single season up to this point. And we're only uh, halfway done with college football. So uh, this season is absolutely uh, bonkers, and uh, it continues to show that with each week that passes. Now, the rankings for the AP Top 25 poll, number one is Georgia. They're 6-0. and they very clearly are the best team in college football. They pass the eye test. They pass the stat test. Their defense is probably the best defense we've seen in college football in the last decade. Um, they have first-round NFL talent all over the field there, and uh, they just look like the best team. You know, uh, you can just watch them and see that they are the best team in college football. Number two is Iowa. They're 6-0. and They had a big win over Penn State this past weekend at home, come from behind. Uh, their def- defense is sting- typical Big Ten stingy defense. So uh, they have a pretty good path to uh, have some success here in the second half of their schedule. So I think Iowa's going to be up there at the end. Number three is Cincinnati. We just talked about them. Uh, they beat Notre Dame a couple weeks ago, had another big win last week. So they're 5-0. and They're number three. Desmond Ritter is squarely in the Heisman uh, race, their quarterback. The number four team is Oklahoma. They're 6-0. and uh, They beat my Longhorns in a heartbreaker at the Cotton Bowl this past week. Just an unbelievable come-from-behind victory. Uh, they have a little quarterback controversy, though. Freshman Caleb Williams is the real deal. He came in uh, in relief of Spencer Rattler, who got benched. We'll see what they do moving forward. But um, I just I do not like Oklahoma, so I'm hoping that TCU can pull out a win this week. Number five, you're probably wondering if if you weren't privy to this or didn't know much about college football, you're probably wondering where in the hell Alabama was. Well, Alabama's number five. They're five and one. They lost this past week on the road uh, to Texas A&M. Now, A&M's not a good team, but they were the better team that night. Uh, They played uh, better than Alabama. They took it to them, and they had the game of their life. So uh, Alabama, though, again, much like Georgia, you can just watch Alabama, and you can see that they very clearly are one of the top five teams, uh, top four teams, really, in the, uh, in, the, in the country. So I would, if Alabama can win out 
including beating Georgia in the SEC championship game, I think Alabama will still get into the playoffs. Number six is Ohio State. They uh, have finally crawled back up after their loss to Oregon a few weeks ago. Number seven, Penn State. They're five and one. Their only loss was on the road this past weekend to the number three ranked Iowa Hawkeyes at the time. Iowa has now moved up to two. So that loss is uh, a good loss if you can have such a thing. Uh, number eight is Michigan. They're six and oh. Their running game has been really good this year. Uh, number nine, Oregon. They lost a heartbreak stinker in overtime to Stanford, but uh, they're still four and one. Still a good team. Number ten is Michigan State. They're six and zero. Now Michigan State has not played anybody uh, of relevance, so uh, their resume is not impressive. They've looked good at times. Larry Walker or Kenneth Walker, my apologies. Their running back is uh, is very good. He's had multiple two hundred yard games. He's running all over the place. So I think they're a good team, but uh, I would. You know, watch out for the Big Ten because they have the Big Ten. That was just the top ten teams. The Big Ten has five of the top ten teams in the country right now, and all of them are getting ready to start playing each other. So there's about to be some carnage there in the Big Ten. Number 11 is Kentucky. They're 6-0 for the first time since the 70s, uh, and they have a date with Georgia this week. College game day will be there, so that'll be interesting to see if Kentucky can hang with Georgia and prove that they deserve to be there. Number 12 is Oklahoma State. They're 5-0. and They had a bye week last week, but they traveled to Austin to take on my Texas Longhorns this week. So I'm hoping that we can put them in their place and get the W. Number 13 is Ole Miss. They're 4-1. and uh, They beat Arkansas this past week in a thriller. Uh, their quarterback, Matt Corral, is uh, squarely in the Heisman mix, and his name is getting a lot of buzz about being potentially the top overall NFL pick. Uh, so we'll see. Number 14 is Notre Dame. They're 5-1. They're and one. They could very easily be 2-3. and three. Um, They've had a, several really close games that they probably should have lost. They did lose to Cincinnati. Uh, I think they're probably um, one of the most fraudulent teams inside this top 25 rankings. Uh, just their record and their performance has not coincide. Uh, number 15, Coastal Carolina. They're six and zero. You know they were, uh, they were ranked last year as well, and they made it. You know to a pretty good bowl game, if I recall. They're in the Sun Belt Conference, so they don't get a lot of love. Their strength of schedule is not real great. They do have one good win earlier this year, but uh, the Chanticleers can play, man. Uh, I would be willing to bet they could hang with some of these other teams that we've already mentioned. Number 16 is Wake Forest. They're 6-0. and Number 17 is Arkansas. They're 4-2. and All right, but they've beaten Texas. They've beaten Texas A&M. Um, they lost this week to Ole Miss in uh, a last-second play. Basically, they scored a touchdown to tie it. Arkansas did, but then chose to go for two to win instead of kicking the extra point to tie, and they didn't get it, so they lost on that. But they're still a good team. Number 18 is Arizona State. 5 and 1 19 is BYU 5 and 1 20 is Florida at 4 and 2 Number 21 is Texas A&M they're 4 and 2 and they just knocked off Alabama uh, they were unranked at the time started the year inside the top 5 A&M's another team that they could be 3 and 3 
uh, instead of four and two. Uh, they did not play well against Colorado earlier in the year, but somehow came out on top, and here they are. Number 22 is NC State. They're 4-1. and one. Number 23, SMU Mustang, 6-0. and oh. uh, They look really good, too. They just had a good win in Annapolis at Navy this past weekend uh, in bad conditions. Number 24, San Diego State. They're 5-0. and oh. And number 25 is my Texas Longhorns at 4-2. and two. All right, they've lost to Arkansas on the road and uh, to Oklahoma on a last-second touchdown in Dallas at a neutral site. So they got a big test this week at home against Oklahoma State, who is number 12. So if Texas can pull out a win this week, which, of course, I'll be tuned into that one, uh, then we should uh, be on track to at least try and get back to the Big 12 championship game. But like I said, college football has been off the chain we're only halfway through this year and uh, looking forward to much more drama here over these next few weeks. Uh, but we'll move on to the National Hockey League just real quick uh, before we get into Around the Island. Uh, the NHL season has officially started. I think every team has played one game so far out of the regular 82-game slate that they have. Um, some noteworthy uh, you know, topics this year, of course, we have the 32nd NHL franchise that has joined the league, and that is the Seattle Kraken. And they have actually played two games already, and they won one of them. They lost their first one uh, by a goal, uh, a controversial goal at that, that was possibly kicked in. But they went ahead and they won their second game. So uh, they are looking good uh, for an expansion team. Keep in mind that the last time we saw an expansion team was the Vegas Golden Knights and uh, they ended up making it to the Stanley Cup Finals their very first year. So I'm not saying the Kraken are going to do that, but what I am saying is that they, uh, they look decent so far. Uh, they are 1-1. One one. Uh, but Commissioner Gary Bettman announced uh, that there are only four unvaccinated NHL players um, that were on a roster at the very start of this season, which is incredible. They have not forced mandated vaccination, but it does complicate things. Uh, traveling between the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Canada is basically not allowing the athletes to travel if they're not vaccinated. So I know Tyler Bertuzzi on the Red Wings, uh, unless something has changed, I specifically recall hearing that he is not getting vaccinated, so he will not be able to travel with them to their Canadian games. But, um, you know, it's one of those, it's a personal preference, Kyrie Irving's dealing with that in the NBA. We'll get into that around the island. But I just kind of wanted to do uh, real quick predictions here for uh, the NHL. Uh, we'll start off in the Eastern Conference. The, my prediction for the Metropolitan Division. Uh, of course, you have Pittsburgh, Columbus, Washington, Carolina, the New York Rangers, New Jersey, Philadelphia, and the New York Islanders. Uh, my prediction on who's going to win that division. I think it's going to come down to either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Philadelphia made a lot of movements, uh, moves in this offseason. They're bolstered their defense big time. Um, I like the Flyers, uh, and I like the Penguins. So I would say those two teams are going to finish uh, near the top of the division. Over in the Atlantic division, you have Buffalo, uh, Ottawa, Florida, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Boston, and Montreal. Now, uh I like Tampa Bay, obviously. They're the defending Stanley Cup champions, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, they're going to be there at the end of it. Uh, and a team I like to go 
uh, near the top of that division that to compete for a division title uh, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Toronto is, um, you know, just, uh, they're loaded with talent as well. They just have the disease that, you know, that the Cleveland Browns have. A uh, ton of talent, but can't really do anything with it. Kind of stuck in neutral. But uh, I like Toronto and Tampa in that division. Uh, over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche, I think, are probably the best overall team in that division from top to bottom. Uh, they lost Philip Grubauer, their goalie, to the Seattle Kraken in the expansion draft, but I do like Colorado to uh, win that division. I also like the Dallas Stars. I'm not just saying that because I'm a Stars fan. It's a homer pick, but I think Dallas, um, you know, we're two years removed from the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, did not make the playoffs last year, but uh, we've, we've added some depth. Ryan Suter and Braden Holtby, uh, and I, I like the Stars to uh, compete for a division title and uh, certainly uh, make the playoffs. So um, good, some good teams there in the, in the Central Division. Uh, over in the Pacific Division, well, of course, Central, I should mention all the teams. You have Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville, Chicago, Winnipeg, and Arizona. And Pacific Division, you have Los Angeles, Anaheim, Edmonton, Seattle, Vegas, Vancouver, Calgary, and San Jose. Now, I like the Vegas Golden Knights uh, to win the division. Um, they're probably the best team in the Pacific Division. Pacific is probably the worst division in terms of number of teams that um, are not good. You know, the, the Kings, the Ducks... The Sharks, the Canucks, all have struggled lately. Um, and then you got brand new team in the Seattle Kraken. So, um, but I do like Vegas to win this division. And my other team to compete in this division is the Edmonton Oilers. You know, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. How can you not think that uh, you know that they're going to be uh, near the top of this division at the end of it? But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the Seattle Kraken. You know, I'm rooting for them to do well. I was in Seattle this past summer at the end of July. I went to Seattle, checked out Climate Pledge Arena, uh, which is right next to the Space Needle if you've never been. Uh, fantastic venue. It was still actually under construction when I went, but I went and took some pictures up there. Uh, and I'm just rooting for the, the brand-new team, you know, a bunch of young kids. They took a different approach than Vegas did in their draft. And so I'm just rooting for the Kraken to come make some noise here in year one. But... We are uh, ready to go for a good, solid, exciting NHL season. So we'll stay tuned on that, and we'll provide, you know, standings updates every episode just like we did uh, in the MLB this year and like we've done so far in the NFL. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across all the various sports. And we'll start off in the National Football League and a couple trades that have gone down. The first one involved Jacksonville and Carolina. The Jaguars traded their 2020 first-round pick cornerback C.J. Henderson and a fifth-round pick in this 2022 draft to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for tight end Dan Arnold and a third-round pick in the 2022 draft. Um, Henderson kind of got into some trouble in Jacksonville, never really found his footing. He's still a first-round pedigree, though, and he's still a good player, so I would expect that he'll probably uh, take off in Carolina. Uh, the biggest trade that went down involved Philadelphia and Arizona. 
Philadelphia traded tight end Zach Ertz to the Arizona Cardinals in exchange for corner uh, Tay Gowan and a fifth-round pick in the 2022 draft. So Zach Ertz, fresh off his Thursday night football victory, or loss rather, against uh, Tampa Bay, gets sent over to the 5-0 and Arizona Cardinals. So worked out for him. Uh, wide receiver Josh Gordon has officially, remember that guy? Yeah, he's been suspended about 3,000 times for marijuana violations, but luckily he doesn't have to worry about that anymore because marijuana is no longer uh, illegal in the NFL. So uh, that works out for him. He uh, got officially reinstated back into the NFL, and he signed a contract with the Kansas City Chiefs for the remainder of the year. And he's since, hey, he's actually played in uh, in a game for the Chiefs. He got activated from the practice squad, looks good in practice, and uh, he has played a game. He caught a pass last week on Sunday Night Football, and uh, he's he's going to be a part of that Kansas City attack moving forward. Now, a couple of releases. Dallas Cowboys released linebacker Jalen Smith, former second-round pick. Now, as a Cowboys fan, I, you know, I'm not disappointed. Um, Smith has obviously lost a step or two in the last couple years. Um, he's on the hook for $7.5 million this year, and if he gets hurt this year, Cowboys are guaranteed, uh, they would have been guaranteed to pay his $9 million insur- uh, injury insurance salary next year. So just odd timing is why they did it four weeks in instead of, you know, at the beginning of the year. But so uh, Jalen Smith actually quickly signed a one-year deal with the Green Bay Packers. So he moves from one iconic franchise to the other. Uh, the other release, it was actually, it got coded as a release originally, but then it was announced as a trade. But it was the New England Patriots and cornerback Stephon Gilmore, all-pro corner Stephon Gilmore. He actually got traded to the Carolina Panthers for a 2023 sixth-round pick. And that trade happened, I guess, right before uh, the announcement of him being released was out because the Patriots announced that they released him, but then it came out that he was traded. So Panthers are uh, bolstering their secondary. Of course, if you recall, the Panthers drafted J.C. Horn, the corner, with their eighth overall pick in this year's draft. And he just uh, uh, broke his foot, and he's going to miss – uh, most of the season with that broken foot so they had to get some secondary help and when horn comes back that secondary is going to be very good uh, over in las vegas the raiders head coach john gruden he got himself into some hot water uh some emails surfaced back from i think 2018 uh, in which he used some racial homophobic uh slurs basically some bad language De- um, just very demeaning language and um, that surfaced and he uh, ended up resigning as head coach so Gruden is out as head coach of the Raiders he was only in year I think maybe four of a 10-year contract he said he had signed so uh, not sure I think the assistant coach has been named the interim coach so we'll see where the Raiders go from there but uh, some big news out of the NFL it was announced that um the NFL is extending their wild card weekend for the playoffs. So one of the six wild card playoff games is going to be played on Monday. And they announced that further announced that this is going to happen for the next five seasons. So for at least the next five years, we're going to have one Monday night wild card playoff game and wild card weekend, which is cool. 
So the schedule now is going to be two games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, and then one game on Monday. That'll be the format for the wild card for the next five years. Now, uh, retirement in the NFL this past week, longtime Philadelphia Eagles running back LaShawn McCoy. Of course, if you played fantasy football, you know just how dominant LaShawn McCoy was for several seasons in Philly. He is retired from the NFL. He, uh, Of course, he also played for the Buffalo and Kansas City. He was a six-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl champion, two-time All-Pro, and he finished as the all-time leading rusher in Philadelphia Eagles history. Not sure that's enough to get him into the Hall of Fame, but um, wouldn't be surprised if he eventually made it. But either way, congrats to Shady McCoy uh, on a good career. Now, the NFL, with regards to the Super Bowl, uh, they announced that their halftime performers for Super Bowl 56 are going to be a slew of entertainers. So this year's halftime performers uh, are going to be Kendrick Lamar, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, and Snoop Dogg. So that's five pretty high-profile rappers, singers, and uh, that's quite the collab. So I'm curious to see how they mix them all together. You know, the halftime show is so scrutinized. Last year it was The weekend. Uh, my favorite halftime show of all time. A lot of people didn't like it, so we'll see how they they do this year. But move over to the NHL real quick. A couple episodes ago, I mentioned that the NHL has agreed to allow advertisements on jerseys. Uh, Well, the Washington Capitals are now officially the first team to sell advertising on its jerseys. And Capitals announced a multi-year partnership with Caesars Entertainment, which will place the Caesars Sportsbook logo on the Washington Capitals' home and third jerseys beginning next year, 2022-2023. That's all. That's when this all is going to take place. No, there will be no advertisements on jerseys, I don't think, this year. Uh, but Caesars Sportsbook is the first one to get a deal done. The NHL also announced that uh, as we opened the season just a couple days ago at 31 of the 32 teams in the league opened their arenas at 100% capacity to start. The Vancouver Canucks are the only team who are not at full capacity at the moment. And so uh, that leaves, that while there's 10 teams that are only allowing vaccinated fans to attend the games. Those 10 teams are Buffalo, Calgary, Montreal, New York Rangers, Seattle, uh, Ottawa, San Jose, Toronto, Vancouver, Winnipeg. So not only is Vancouver not operating at full capacity, they're also mandating that you be um, vaccinated to attend. Eight teams are going to allow either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. That's Anaheim, Boston, Chicago, Edmonton, Los Angeles, Nashville, New York Islanders, and St. Louis. So uh, interesting to see how that's going to turn out. I would suspect that Vancouver, by the end of the season, will come around and eventually have full capacity to make it 32 teams out of 32, but we'll see on that. There's been, uh, since the start of the season, or the last week of the, the preseason and the first week of here in this regular season, there's been seven big contract extensions that have been handed out, okay? And I'll do them in order... Uh, of the money <coughs> that they make. The biggest one was the Florida Panthers and their captain, Alexander Barkov. 
former top five pick, signed an eight-year, $80 million extension. That's, you know, 10 per year. Uh, one of the highest paid players in the league now. Boston Bruins, defenseman Charlie McAvoy, eight years, $76 million. New York Rangers and Mika Zibanejad, eight years, $68 million. Montreal Canadiens and Nick Suzuki, eight years, $63 million. Uh, Ottawa and Brady Kachuk, seven years, $57.5 million. New York Islanders and Ryan Pollock, eight years, $49 million. And then Nashville Predators and Matthias Ekholm, four years, $25 million. So as you can see, out of those seven contracts... Uh, five of them are eight-year contracts, and the uh, one of them seven years. So teams are committing to these younger players for very long periods of time. So uh, lots of money being handed out. Uh, don't really have an issue with any of those, honestly. Uh, those are all good players. Most of them are on the younger side. Ekholm, I think, is the oldest out of that group, and he only got four years, but uh, all very good players. So... Uh, congrats to those guys. Uh, over in Major League Baseball, there were three managers that have been fired so far since the end of the season, one of which was a playoff team. Uh, the San Diego Padres at first. and They have fired Jace Tingler, their manager. Uh, Padres very much underachieved this year. They have one of the most exciting players in all of baseball. Well, two of them, really. Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado and they still miss the playoffs um, with that payroll that they throw out there. Of course, they got Blake Snell, former Cy Young winner, uh, just an electric offense, and they still couldn't get it done. So he's out as the Padres manager. Now the New York Mets, they have declined Luis Rojas's 2022 contract option. So Luis Rojas is out as the Mets manager. I mentioned a little while ago, that the Mets spent 103 games in first place and ended up finishing the season with a losing record. So uh, not surprised to see Rojas go. Uh, and then in the NL Central, three National League managers got canned already. So in the NL Central, those red-hot St. Louis Cardinals that I talked about, that 17-game win streak to get them into the playoffs, and manager Mike Schilt has been relieved of his duties as well which is a big surprise. You know, I mean, like I said, Cardinals went on a tear there at the end of the year uh, to make the playoffs, and then they go ahead and fire their manager. So it's very interesting. Uh, Major League Baseball's average time of a nine-inning game this past season set an MLB record for longest game uh, despite their efforts to improve the pace of, pay, uh, pace of play. So basically, um, you know, Last year in 2020, Major League Baseball had instituted a three-batter minimum for relief pitchers. So if a reliever comes in or, you know, they'd have to face the three batters or whatever before they got pulled. And that's to help relieve, you know, them throwing one pitch, getting to the next batter, and then changing pitchers. So it was designed to speed up the game. Well, last year... Uh, the average time for a nine-inning game was 3 hours, 7 minutes, 46 seconds. This year, was 3 hours, 10 minutes, and 7 seconds. So it actually went up by over 3 minutes 
uh, an average length of time. Now, three minutes isn't a lot, but we're talking about how many games in which that average was accumulated. So uh, more games than not lasted longer than three hours and seven minutes like they did last year. So uh, instead of increasing the pace of play, it decreased the pace of play. So I'm curious to see what the MLB has in store to help improve baseball because if you watch baseball on TV, it's not that exciting. All right, it just really is not. Uh, but if you go in person, it's a little more exciting. Still, a lot of downtime in baseball, so uh, not really much they can do to improve it any more than what they have. But uh, we'll have to see what they have in store. But over in the NBA, uh, they're starting their preseason. There, all the teams have played several preseason games already. Uh, big contract extension handed out already. That would be the Denver Nuggets and Michael Porter Jr., all right? He signed a five-year, $207 million max contract extension with the Nuggets. Uh, so he will be in Denver for the next five years. He was the first-round first, over, first pick uh, a couple years ago. <coughs> um, big part of that Nuggets team. A couple other uh, noteworthy things out of the NBA. The first one is the NBA announced that they are not going to be randomly drug testing for marijuana this year, uh, which follows along the lines of the NFL, basically legalizing marijuana in the NFL. The NBA is basically doing the same thing, that they're not testing for marijuana, so players can go ahead and toke up all they want, and they're not going to get tested for it. Now, the other piece in the NBA is the Brooklyn Nets, okay? I mentioned this a little while ago. Kyrie Irving, he has not gotten his vaccination. He's made it abundantly clear, been very vocal about where he stands on that and that he's not going to be forced into getting the vaccine. Well, that's pretty much what's happening because the way the NBA rules are and uh, vaccination, uh, COVID protocol, basically, uh, he is not going to be eligible to play or practice unless he gets that shot. The Nets have already determined that. The Brooklyn Nets have said that Kyrie Irving is not going to play or practice until he can be a full participant. Well, him being a full participant would be him being vaccinated. Um, so that's not going to happen. So we shall see how this plays out. This is a stalemate. Uh, the Nets are not going to budge on that. The NBA is not going to budge on that. So Kyrie Irving might end up being the loser in all of this. He's either going to have to choose to take the shot or play. So uh, stay tuned on that because if the Nets don't have Kyrie Irving, uh, yes, I still think they're a playoff team. Yes, as long as you have Kevin Durant and James Harden on the same team, you're going to be a contender. Uh, but that's a big piece missing in Kyrie Irving. So stay tuned on that. Uh, but over in the PGA Tour, this, uh, since the last episode, it was announced that the match, uh, if you recall, it was Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson previously that have done the match where they uh, square off head-to-head, put, you know, eight, ten million bucks on the line in a, in a one-round match and winner-take-all. And it's, it's televised. It's a, it's a big event. Well, the match is returning this year, and it's going to feature, drum roll please, the long-anticipated head-to-head matchup of Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Those two, you know, of course, their feud that they've had over the last several months, uh, they seem to squash it at the Ryder Cup. Whether or not it was truly a feud, whether or not it was for show, 
whether or not they had anything to squash at the Ryder Cup, whether or not they squashed it at the Ryder Cup, who really knows? But the point is, is that Kepka and DeChambeau are going to play a 12-hole match at the Wynn Golf Course in Las Vegas, Nevada, on Friday, November 26th. So Black Friday, this is going down. It will be televised. Get your popcorn ready. I will definitely be tuned in to that. Two good golfers there, two of my favorite golfers, going head-to-head. But over in the NCAA, real quick, some sad news out of college football. Utah corner Aaron Lowe was shot and killed at a house party in Salt Lake City after their Week 4 game a few weeks ago. Now, I mention this specifically, one, uh, because... Uh, This comes less than one year after Utah's running back, Ty Jordan, was accidentally shot and killed last December. So 10 months ago, Utah running back Ty Jordan, who was a freshman, uh, accidentally was shot and killed. And then now one year later, Utah loses a corner uh, to a a shooting as well. Uh, Both of them happened in Utah. Now, the crazy thing about this is that both Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan played high school football at West Mesquite High School here in Mesquite, Texas. Shout out to the Wranglers. Uh, So they're local kids here in the Dallas area, went to the same high school, played on the same team in high school and college, and they both get killed by gunfire less than a year apart. Just a horrible tragedy. Both, to my knowledge, uh, were good kids in school and uh, outside of school. So uh, definitely a very sad deal there in the NCAA. But uh, that is going to wrap up the 52nd episode of the Sports Island podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one. Very busy. Lots of stuff to catch up on. I'm sure it'll be the same here uh, next episode. But until then, stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next time.